0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It is Monday, November 28th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Marshall Conley of Slow. Before we do that, we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews, How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Here on The Planet Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. And with that, we're going to get right into the interview. Today on TPT, we are joined by Marshall Conley of Slow. Marshall began working with startups and small businesses after dropping out of university in 2017 uh, while focusing mostly on growth and sales. He took the leap of starting his own startup in 2021 when he joined MNTN Co. And eventually started slow with MNTN Co founder Christian Hansen to focus on the sustainable fashion industry. Marshall Conley, welcome to the planet today. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, great to have you. So, first question for you What first got you interested in environmentalism and sustainability as a whole?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's a, it's a pretty simple origin story. I'm from Michigan, um, originally Michigan in the United States. Um, we're a massive freshwater state, uh, you know, we're surrounded by the Great Lakes. Um, so growing up, my whole life, uh, you know, I've had these beautiful natural resources around me. I love the lakes, love, um, you know, sailing, swimming, um, anything you can do in freshwater. Um, but, you know, over time, I've watched those natural resources, you know, really get stripped away, polluted, removed, replaced and wasted. Um, you know, Nestle just pumping water out of the Great Lakes, you know, I've heard that story. Um, We had an awesome governor a couple years ago who tried rerouting our freshwater supply, Flint water, Um, same governor, you know, neglected some dams, led to some floods, Um, you know, and this is, as I'm growing up and watching all this unfold around me, this is just my home state, you know, not just, not only, you know, I'm seeing online things way worse, you know, fires out west, Mm-hmm. hurricanes, you know, natural disasters all over the place. Um, so the real question is, like, how can anyone live in the same world that I have and not be obsessed with environmentalism right now? It's, yeah, it's beyond me, you know?
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, especially for people of our age, our generation, where, you know, we, we seem to be very informed about these topics. And part of the good part of social media has been. We get these stories all the time of, you know, wildfires breaking out, water rights being stripped away from people. And it's daunting. It's extremely intimidating and frankly, very upsetting. It's also given us the tools where we are so informed and our generation is so hyper focused on how do we fix that? So, you know, social media has a lot of things wrong with it. But that that I think is one of the good things where, like you said, how could you not care? How could you not want to be involved seeing this firsthand?
1: Right. And honestly, you know, I don't I don't want to get too political with it, but I do I just don't see how it's not like a you know, in the US, you know, and how it's not a bipartisan issue, like Yeah. Even if you don't believe in like climate change or you don't believe in global warming, you know, you don't have to believe in those things to want to preserve something you appreciate. And like, yeah, on either side of the aisle, we have lots of things to appreciate about nature. There's not a person, you know, there's very few people who just like don't like the natural world. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're, you know, climate denier or not, like. just makes sense to preserve these things. And when you see bad things happening, like why not get in a preventative mindset?
0: Yeah. And you know, whether it's bad thing happening to people, your neighbors, people you've never met or wildlife across the country that, you know, if you've ever been to somewhere like Yellowstone or Banff National Park, you know, there's these beautiful, pristine places. You might not believe in climate change, which if you don't, wrong. <laughs> but, yeah. Like you have to care about those things, right? So, right, yeah. So I guess let's take that initial interest that was sparked by your upbringing and spending some time in, in your home state. What led you to where you are today, founding your own company and taking on this sustainability challenge?
1: Um, You know, I mean, at, at my core, I really just wanted to make an impact. You know, I think like, like a lot of people, you know, you just want to make an impact, you know, figuring out how to, you know, give yourself direction is sometimes difficult, but like, I just wanted to make an impact, you know, my family's always been relatively eco-conscious, you know, not as like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it never seemed like they had like this intent to be eco-conscious, but you know, they were very, um, yeah, they, they farm a lot of their own food, uh, you know, they source really making attention to source locally for one reason or the other. Um, yeah. they re- re- uh, religiously recycle. Uh, my mom loves, mm-hmm. you know, shop like thrift shopping, shopping secondhand. Um, so, I mean, this was all just kind of, normal to me it wasn't it was yeah no no real transition just kind of came naturally there was never this like my mom never made this like push to shop secondhand to like be more environmentally conscious it was just kind of something she did um yeah so these things never seemed abnormal or like much to me so um you know i think these like lifestyle things, if you will, just never really seem like enough. Um, You know, I wanted to see industrial change. Like I feel like a lot of sustainability is put onto the consumer. Like you have to do this and you can't do this. You can't do this. I think it's really time like the the industries take, you know, take the lead on sustainability. Yeah. So if I could help create an example of like, you know, what sustainable industries look like, you know, that, that was like a huge motivating factor for me is just try to be an example for people to like, follow.
0: Yeah, and I hundred percent agree with you. I think for the longest time we've always been, you know, as consumers, as the citizens of this country or, or around the world, it's been put on us a lot. And then you look at all of these corporations where, what's that, I think a hundred companies are emitting like seventy percent of the yeah. world's emissions. Exactly. So yeah, it's great when we as consumers are cutting down on our own footprint, but industry level, that's where we're making the real change, and that's where that dis- difference needs to be made. Hundred percent. So. With Slow, what role does sustainability play in your marketing strategies and how you're taking your company and and expanding on it?
1: The marketing play on sustainability, I think it's a, I have a certain guilt from it. I know, and I think this is, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I've ever really heard anyone speak on this, but like, I try to keep the sustainable portions of our marketing plan as authentic as possible because it feels like, cheap to go out there and you know with everyone you know all these companies greenwashing um i feel like it makes less of an impact and when you're really pushing hard on it you know there's some like level of guilt that like i don't know you can't like just guilt the consumers into like being more sustainable because x y and z are worse Um, so we really try to just 10x the things that um you know some companies do for example um we partnered with a company called one tribe uh, one tribe global is uh, an organization that does carbon offsetting they take a little bit of a different angle um, a little bit of a different angle than you know these like planted tree organizations where they actually go in and buy the land titles from rainforests around the world um, and then through through our donations so we make a you know a donation per product and uh they use that money to buy land titles and give those land titles to indigenous tribes who have ancestral claim on the land um, so we find it, you know, to be one part sustainable because we're preserving these trees and they're all mature rainforest trees who have, you know, have a long life behind them and ahead of them, mm-hmm. which is important mm-hmm. because mature trees are the ones that absorb the most carbon, um, and preserving those trees ensures the continual, uh, you know, absorbing of carbon where, you know, when you plant trees right. the, you know, they get planted really close together. They... And it takes a while for some of those to take off and grow
0: and actually absorb. Yeah. And it's
1: if they ever get to maturity. Right. So so we, we, you know, we were given like a recommended number for us to be carbon neutral via offsetting. We just 10 X that number. Got it. Um, So we we preserve 75 mature trees with every pair of jeans we sell. Um, And it's one of the, the larger like chunks (laughs) in our profit margin. yeah, But it was really important to us to feel like we can actually go out there and market ourselves as a sustainable company and do so authentically.
0: I think that's really not only noble, but smart, because there's a lot of people who are frankly getting fed up with the fact that, you know, you brought up greenwashing. There -hmm. are so many companies that just aren't doing what needs to be done. And then there's quite a few more that are saying, yeah, we're being sustainable. We're doing all of these different initiatives. And then they're either not or they're downplaying it or it's like, hey, we're actually increasing our emissions, but we're going to pay other people to offset theirs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to actually walk the walk instead of just talking the talk. So I'm sure there's a lot of consumers out there that notice that you're actually doing what you're setting out to do and actually being sustainable instead of just talking about sustainability. And frankly, I, I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and you—you hit a good point. Like offsetting isn't enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we were—we're really young, and like offsetting was a really good way for us to start strong. Um, But you know, product manufacturing are huge portions of that. You know, we have a roadmap to where, um, you know, in the next year, we hope to have be offering a 100% biodegradable jean. And there's there's one denim. Um manufacturer, you know, on the market that I know of that makes a biodegradable to biodegradable denim. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of companies just lean on that offsetting and don't focus on what happens in their supply chain where they can really eliminate a lot of emissions and um, you know, I do think that's really hard for a lot of companies, but I do think a lot of them sandbag. Yeah. Like I, I look at some of these initiatives and they're like, yeah, we'll be carbon neutral by 2040. I'm like, what are you waiting for? Yeah.
0: And what's, what's the steps to get there? You know, I, I think half of the time when people say, Oh, we could do it by 2040. It's cause they don't want to worry about it until 2039. Right. Exactly. It's like, Show me, show me like a roadmap of by 2025, we're doing this 2030. We're doing this. If, right. if it's going
1: to take until 2040. Sure. But show me how you're getting there. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way I felt when I see these 2030, 2040 initiatives. I'm like, man, I feel like you could do that in a couple of years. Like how, how, yeah. what are you tied into in your supply chain that you can't make a change for 18 years? It's so funny with, you know, our generation of being
0: environmentally conscious where a lot of it is just so frustrating when you start to understand these these systems and it's either how do I channel this frustration into something positive or wow I'm gonna be pissed off all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so for our listeners out there who might be more interested in the startup nature of your work and what you've been doing what is equity crowdfunding and how does that impact not just your startups but startups in general
1: well cool. so yeah I mean we um so we we did our fundraising on a platform called WeFunder. It's a, an equity crowdfunding platform. You can invest in startups you believe in for you know as little as like $100 I believe their minimum investment is. Um and I I'm a huge believer in this concept. You know I'm a, I was a huge Kickstarter um you know like investor not, not. I wouldn't say huge. Those people probably threw, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of money on there. I like to buy packs and <laughs> chargers yeah. and stuff. So maybe I shouldn't say huge. But I I really a big believer in this like crowdfunding ideology. Um, and equity crowdfunding, I b- really believe is gonna change the way um, that ideas are funded. Um, crowdfunding breaks down the barrier of entry for venture capital. Um, you know, it's it's people investing in the future they wanna see. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, we we did our fundraising 100% off TikTok. We went on TikTok and we're like, hey, this is what we have. We have this idea. We're gonna make jeans. We're gonna put pockets in them. We're gonna reinforce the thighs. We're gonna reinforce the belt loops. We're gonna build it on a sizing system that works. And like, if you've ever experienced any of A, B, and C problems, head over to WeFunder, and you know, you can invest in this idea. And like, this is a community-owned, community-driven project. That's super cool. We had a thousand people. You know, we had a thousand people invest. You know, three hundred thousand, not a yeah, yeah, but <laughs> total. You know, <laughs> Three hundred thousand dollars into this idea. You know, we didn't have a sample. Yeah, we didn't have you know, like anything. You know, we weren't pitching to you know investors. We didn't have like you know profit and loss predictions or anything because we had no idea. We're new. We're young. We've never done this before. Yeah, but we had an idea. We had a vision. We had a basic roadmap on how we were going to get there. And people looked at that and they're like, Yeah, you know what? That's what I want the future of fashion to look like. I'll give you hundred dollars. And this entire project was built off of $100 investments. That is so awesome. I feel like the, the Bernie Sanders campaign of of, uh, of uh, startups. Yeah, just
0: small incremental donations that just keep adding up. I mean, all it takes is people to believe in you. It sounds like you guys knocked that out of the park.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's. A, I think it's really important. It's a really important um, system. I think. More for, you know, marginalized groups of people mm-hmm. in the country, like it's one thing for Christian Hansen and I to go into a VC firm and pitch them, you know, we are, you know, we are what Silicon Valley is looking for. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is. And equity crowdfunding gives those people who may have a harder time in Silicon Valley because they don't look a certain way or they're not from a certain background or, you know, whatever the case may be, where they're going to get shut out of VCs, they they don't have that problem as as much at least on these equity crowdfunding platforms
0: it's it's got to be so useful too you know you had mentioned people who don't look a certain way or come from a certain background not everyone has the institutional wealth from their family coming into things you know yeah. like generational wealth that's what I meant to say but some people with well-off parents can help them achieve their dreams by saying yeah we'll support you while you focus on this thing not everyone has that luxury. You know, some people are working multiple jobs while having the best ideas in the world. And it seems like something like equity-based crowdfunding, all you need is the idea, the roadmap, and enough people to believe in you. And you don't need to have financial backing of, of Silicon Valley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen, we've seen VC, you know, VC funds really slow down in the last couple of months. Equity crowdfunding has not slowed down at the same rate. You know, if you're a, if you're a startup founder right now and you're raising money, save yourself the time. Don't write those emails for the VCs. Yeah. head over to crowdfunding because people will believe in you. They will invest in you. I guess you just got to make sure that your idea is a, is a solid one at that point. <laughs> hey, you can spend some time on those platforms and that may not be as true as you think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's talk more about slow and about sustainable fashion specifically. So why is sustainable fashion so important today? And I know you would spoken about this a little bit mm-hmm. earlier, but what got you interested in, in the fashion side of sustainability?
1: I think there's a couple moments worth referencing. There was a moment where I saw, I believe it's Chile. There is a garment landfill in Chile that's like in the middle of the desert, just miles and miles of like wasted garments. Um, I can't say these companies' names. We were warmed on this once before, so I will frame there are some fast fashion companies. When you return clothes to them, they make no attempt to do anything with yeah. clothes. They don't send them to a Goodwill or a Salvation Army. They don't clean them and restock them. They take them and they burn them or they throw them yeah. away. Um, you know, and, and seeing that and hearing that and understanding the process, how much waste was produced through the garment industry... And then the other moment was when I saw that like 11% of global emissions come from clothing and I'm like, how is that possible? And I'm not a big shopper. Like I, I, you know, may buy a couple pieces of garment, like a couple garments a year, like maybe you know, mm-hmm. if I have a wedding coming up. I may buy a blazer. If I ruin a pair of jeans, I'll replace those jeans. But it really put into perspective how, mu- how, like how many units of clothing we're producing how many units of clothing we're buying, how many units of clothing we're wasting. Yeah. The carbon emissions just from the wasted clothing is like enough to scare you. And also
0: everything that goes into that, right? You know, it's not just the emissions, it's the water usage, just the energy usage. It's every part of that supply chain just completely wasted when things aren't used, aren't used the way they're supposed to be used
1: yeah and then the other end of that is some of the most poorly treated laborers in the world are garment workers you know you you going to you know bangladesh or you know some of these facilities in you know the east are like nightmare material Mm -hmm. like fever dream stuff and seeing that stuff is so sad and like you there was a couple you know a few years ago there was a moroccan facility where the workers there were literally stitching into clothing. We aren't being paid for this. Help us. someplace. <laughs> you know, and that's horrifying. Yeah. You know, like these people were obviously had no other choice other than to put their cries into the clothing they're producing. And like that stuff shook me. So the inspiration for getting into clothing, to try to make that impact, we, you know, aforementioned impact is those stories, you know, you see those things and I'm like, there's gotta be something better.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's pretty scary when you talk about fast fashion, how like for every one company that's doing things the right way, there's probably a dozen plus that aren't.
1: Oh man. And the amount of like white label companies out there that, you know, all source from like the same horrible facility, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just bad, you know, and I have a couple like and I know this company is somewhat controversial in some ways and, you know, whatever, but um, I have a Pendleton flannel and a Pendleton jacket that my grandpa purchased in the 80s. Pristine condition, daily worn, you know, and, and I think about some of those items. And I'm like, why can't we make stuff like that today? Yeah. Why can't we make something that you could wear, you know, w- you know once or twice you know, a week and have that last more than a couple of years?
0: It's, it's pretty interesting when you think about just how big of a role fast fashion has played mm-hmm. on our society and our consumers. Because the whole model is like, let's make something that's quote-unquote cool, but isn't going to stand the test of time. So by the next season, or if it somehow lasts a year, by the next year, you don't want to wear it anymore because it's out of style. Right. So you don't need to make these high-quality clothes mm-hmm. when you know, people are just going to be
1: getting rid of it, which is a a pretty harmful cycle (laughs) to put it mildly. No kidding. We have a horrifying, we have a horrifying TikTok up on our, uh, on Christian's actually, I that's on Christian's TikTok where he had a conversation with a designer, technical designer from a very, very big fast fashion company where she said something that, you know, you, we've, we've, we've thought of, we've, you know, maybe assumed, mm-hmm. but to hear it from a technical designer meant something a little more. She said, I've had more designs turned away for being too well constructed than like poorly designed. That's insane. And I I'm like, wow. Wow. You know, they they it's like they want these things to break down. So they have to be placed. And I, I can't reason with that.
0: It just also makes me feel so good about the fact that like I have been roasted one too many times for wearing the same outfits all the time and <laughs> not really wearing yeah. anything trendy. Um, I love flannels. I love button downs. <laughs> that's about it, yeah. and they last forever. So you know, I'm looking for stuff that like I can wear it one winter, and by the time next winter rolls around,
1: still the same old flannel. <laughs> Exactly. That is my closet. My closet is a lot of just, i I really believe in the essentials industry and in clothing. Like what are the timeless pieces that I can keep for 10 years? Because I don't like shopping. I don't like it's it. Stressful. So, it's stressful.
0: It's, it's tough yeah, to look good. So yeah. I'd rather look decent. Right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so one more
0: question for you, that's related to something on the consumer front. Um, what are some ways that consumers, you know, listeners of this show can be more sustainable in their fashion and in their clothing purchases?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, um, I'll say simple because it comes off simple. (laughs) It doesn't mean it's it's as simple in practice, but, you know, recycle, upcycle, secondhand. Um, You know, those are the big three. If you can figure out where you can send your clothes when you're done with them, where they're not going to make up in a landfill, Um, you know, figure out how you can use clothes differently and try. Try to continue the life cycle. You know, like we make clothes. You know, I'm not. I'm not afraid to admit that the most sustainable way you can purchase clothes Mm -hmm. is secondhand. You know, that's that's, that's not something I'm going to ignore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the other end of things is, you know, when you're, when you're not doing that, when you need something is, is really just be conscious, look into, you know, what you're purchasing, look into what certifications they're, you know, bragging about and what do those mean? You know, what did they have to go through? Um, you know, I think those are really the biggest things, you know, you can, you can come onto our website, you can check out our certifications and you can follow those certifications, um, and, you know, figure out what we had to do to get those, you know, what information do we have to provide to get those, um, same thing with our, um, uh, certificate of carbon neutrality. Um, you know, we have a, we have a breakdown of why we're, why we say that we're carbon neutral. And, you know, if, if a company's not, if a company's afraid to post that, <laughs> then they're probably not that sustainable, Yeah. you know? So look, uh, look, look for a little more than the, uh, What their advertisers are telling you? The little green flag, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. All right.
0: Awesome, Marshall. So we end all of our interviews with three fun, rapid-fire questions. Ready to go? All right. Yeah, let's hit me. First one, what's your favorite animal? Ooh, tiger. Nice. Number two, what is something you do to be more sustainable in your own life?
1: Oh, you know, a big one recently is get rid of the paper towels.
0: (laughs) Get yeah. rid of
1: paper towels. We do not need paper towels. Wash your rags. We No free ads, so I'm not going to say the brand name, but
0: uh, at my apartment we actually just got, I think, like two years ago now, these reusable cloth kind of paper towels, and they, yeah. like, stack together. So we have the old paper towel roll, wow. and we just put that around it so you could, you know, rip them off like it's a regular paper towel and then just throw them in the
1: wash. It's the easiest change to reduce. Like, you'd be amazed by how many pounds of paper – go like a household wastes in paper towel yeah (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's like paper towels tissues you could switch like bamboo toilet paper and then all of a sudden you're cutting down on your paper waste by so much
1: right yep absolutely
0: (laughs) all right last rapid fire question not so rapid fire which is an ongoing bit on our show but what is one environmental (laughs) topic you think my listeners should be
1: more aware of after hearing from you today let's figure out what's important to us planting trees or preserving trees. I love that. I don't know what the answer is. I won't, I won't, uh, I won't, won't push any bias, but let's figure out what's, wh- which one's better.
0: All right. If you're listening now, that's your homework right now is, is figure that out yeah. and report back by Friday's show and let me know what you think. <laughs> awesome. All right, Marshall, this was awesome. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to keep up with you, keep up with slow,
1: where is the best place to do that? Absolutely. You can check us out at slowjeans.co, that is S-L-O-J-E-A-N-S dot C-O, or the fan favorite, fakepocketssuck.com.
0: <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> um, I do have one more question, actually, before we let you go. Speaking of slow jeans, I am in the market for jeans right now. Yeah. What what are you doing about the issue for us guys with thick thighs where the, the thighs fray a little bit from rubbing together?
1: Man, I'm glad you asked. We have the best. Are these the jeans for me? We have the best solution for that. So I'm actually wearing them right now. Um, I've actually been wearing slow jeans for th- days straight. Don't tell your viewers, though. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I'll bleep that out. It's 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 my it's my it's my rigorous test. But yes, so we actually have a system for this. We didn't invent it. We pulled it from um, so like architectural. Um, I believe there's a couple other fashion companies that use this concept in their clothing, but it's never been applied to jeans as far as we know. We use a internal uh, like gusset system on the thighs. So there's two triangular pieces of cloth that go from the the thigh down to almost to the knee and what this allows it removes the seam from that point where your thighs are rubbing which is important yep it also allows an additional flexibility so for our big thigh friends out there these genes flex more on the thigh region than your average gene does Uh, we also have two hip gussets for the same reason um yeah so we we actually are quite popular with athletes bodybuilders you know i have a couple of friends who are bodybuilders who are excited to get their hands on our products because they can't wear jeans because their thighs are huge yeah um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right i'm gonna
0: go to slowjeans.co right after this interview if you're listening go do the same go check them out thanks matt Alright, right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Thanks again to Marshall for his time today. And make sure to hit the link in your show notes to learn more about slow. Nick and I will be back on Friday for some quick hits to send you into your weekend. Until then, make sure to follow along on our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. For the Planet Today, I'm Matt Norton. See you on Friday.